Hey everybody. How's it going? Isn't our band awesome? Thank you guys. Well, my name is Matt. I'm the student director here at Elements. I work with our middle schoolers and high schoolers. Yeah, middle school, high school. Um, and uh, if it's your first time here, welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, this summer, we've been in the book of Psalms, and this first week, uh, a couple weeks ago, Jack brought us into Psalms 1, and then last week, he brought us Psalms 73, and you could go onto the Elements app and find uh, videos and podcasts and all of that from the last couple of weeks if you want to go back. Also, if you go on there, uh, you could follow along on my notes. I put some of those on there, and you could get connected to the Psalms uh, Bible plan that we've been doing as a whole church. So if that's something you want to do, do it. It's awesome. Uh, and tonight, uh, I'm going to go through Psalm 139 for you guys. But before I dig into it, uh, I have a question. Um, who wants a $100 bill? All right, I made one promise to Jen, and it was that I would not give it away. But I have it here, right? And you guys, like, it's awesome. It's $100. You guys want it. But say I take it, and I crumple it up. And then I, like, throw it on the ground, or, like, throw it out in the parking lot. <laughs> Uh, and then like run it over and then I go get it and then I like I put it on the table and I'm like drinking coffee and then I spill the coffee on it and then I take it as if that's not enough damage to it I take it and then I bring it over to E-Kids and there's like a bunch of toddlers over there eating Cheetos and I just let them pass it around um, would you guys still want this hundred dollar bill yeah why would you guys want it it'd be silly not to want it you'd want it because even though it's damaged and it's gone through some stuff and it's dirty, it still holds its value. And I think in Psalm 139, what David is showing us through all of it is that we still hold our value to God no matter what we've gone through. God's been there for all of it. Uh, the Psalm goes through how God knows us, God created us, uh, and God is with us through all of our circumstances. Um, and by the end of the Psalm, he comes to the realization that God still wants him. Like David didn't leave this, live this perfect life this 100% like all in life for God on the outside, but his heart, his heart was for God. Um, so we'll dig into the Psalm. You guys okay with that? Sweet. I like participation, so feel free to talk back throughout some like amens or something. Those are good. Uh, <laughs> um, so the Psalm starts in verse one. Uh, David says, you have searched me, God. Uh, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And there's this big biblical word for this, that's called omniscience. And it's a fancy way of just saying that God knows everything. Uh, and when I hear that, I think of just how big God's mind has to be. Like I can't get by without a calendar. Like one of my flaws is that I forget things. Uh, Jen, my wife hates it and it's, it's terrible and it's something that I work on. But like I look at God and I think, uh, while our minds are so small, his mind has the capacity to know each and every one of us personally. Like there are 7.5 billion people in the world 
And whether they believe in God or not, he knows them personally. And like David said, God knows when you sit down and when you rise. He knows what you love. He knows your favorite TV show. He knows your favorite band. He knows your favorite music. He knows what you like to eat. Uh, God knows these things about you and he's the only one who completely understands you. I think oftentimes we, we think it's our wife or we think it's uh, our best friend or we think it's, it's our family, but like really it's God. He knows you better than you even know yourself. And I, I saw an example of this this past weekend. I was up at uh, UCYC in Prescott with our middle schoolers and I was sitting on the back porch of the cabin uh, just looking out at nature and looking out at the kids having fun and we're looking out uh, at them just enjoying themselves. And uh, God reminded me that there's moments like that that he creates for us. Like there's moments like that that he knows that that's something that I love. He knows that's something that brings me joy and he knows that that's something that I could use to pour out into, into other people. But while God knows us uh, what we like and what we love and all that stuff, there's also like a flip side to the coin where there's a head, there's a tells. Uh, and the kicker to it is that God also knows when we sin. And I think sin is this term uh, in the Christian language that we throw around a lot. And uh, I once heard it described as uh, an archery term. In archery uh, competition, archery, when you miss the mark, when you miss what you're trying to aim at, it's called sin. Uh, so really, I just want to view sin as this thing where we're missing the mark of what God has planned for our lives. Like when we lie, we're missing the mark of what God had planned for that relationship. When we uh, do things that aren't loving other people, we're missing the mark of what God had planned for that. So God knows if he knows what we like and what we love. God also knows when we gossip. God knows the real reason you do what you do. God knows when you cheat on your work or on your spouses or in your classes. And he knows when we justify it because I think we're people uh, that often like to justify things, right? Like, why did we cheat? Well, I was lonely. I was hurt. Why did we cheat on that test? Well, because I need to get into that college. And I think we're really we're really people who justify it. And God is there when you fall short of claiming his glory and representing his kingdom. And the cool thing about it, I think that David realizes in this, is that God is not going anywhere in that. God is going to be with you besides that. And in verse five, <coughs> David goes into it, uh, and he, he uses this phrase, hems in. And what that really means is that God encircles us. God is around us. God is always with us. He's before us. He's behind us. He's our left and to our right. And that really brings us to the, the second set of verses I want to go into. That there's absolutely nowhere to flee or hide or run from what God wants for your life. And David brings that up. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not break to you 
or even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Excuse me, I gotta get a drink. And another big biblical word for you (coughs) is God's uh, omnipresence, which means he is everywhere at the same time. So like, if you think the world is big, like God is bigger. Like if you think the universe is like this huge grand thing that's like never ending, God is like grander and never endinger. Hashtag never endinger. (coughs) Like God is bigger than any mountain that we could come up across or any sin that we have in our lives or any mistake that you've made or you will make in the future. And I think uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Jonah because it shows this so clearly. Um, In the first couple verses, uh, we see God calling Jonah to go to the city called Nineveh. It says in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of uh, Amittal. Get up, go to the great uh, city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish. Man, that's hard to say. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them uh, to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So like, you see Jonah here, God's calling him to go do something, but he's like, nah, man, I'm gonna go the other way. It's like if God came to you and he was like, hey, I need you to go preach in L.A., and you're like, hey man, those people from LA, they're like, they're a little crazy. I'm allowed to say that, I, I grew up there a little bit. So like, <laughs> you hear that and then you're like, hey, I don't wanna do that. And then like you go to Maine. Like not only is it in the opposite direction, but it's like two or three or like a lot farther distance away from where it is that God wants you to go. Or like, are there any U of A fans? Yeah, so like, We'll pick the biggest U of A fan. Um, I have a friend named Trey Mapes who is like this huge U of A fan, right? And I just think uh, if God came to him in a dream and he's like, hey, I need you to go to the ASU campus and I need you to go preach about how U of A basketball team is better than ASU basketball team most seasons. This last season was a little rough. Like, I think most of us, right, would be like, hey man, I don't, like, I don't wanna die. And then like we'd go somewhere else, right? Like I think that's not something that we normally like to do. But oftentimes what God does is what he did for Jonah. Jonah said, I'm gonna go the other way and God said, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna chase you, I'm gonna go after you. And then he sent the storm after Jonah. He sent the storm into Jonah's life so that he could get Jonah's attention and show his power to Jonah. And I think oftentimes what we need in our lives are these storms to hit so that we could really see God, so that we could see him working in our lives when we're running away. And it's a, it's a cool thing that this really shows us about who God is because it shows us um, that God values you so much that sometimes he'll orchestrate this disaster for you to see him. That there's, uh, like some of the songs we sang opening here right now, that there's absolutely no darkness that God cannot turn into light. 
Like he can work with anything that's happening in his life to bring it to his glory. Negative, positive, whatever it may be, whatever you think, whatever mountain you think is too high, whatever sin you think is too big, God could take that and he could turn it into greatness for his glory. And God wants to experience these things with you. He, he doesn't want you to experience them away from him or apart from him. He doesn't want, to want you to experience them fleeing from him. God wants to experience these things with you in his life so that he could help you get through them. And I think it also shows that we are a people with a tendency to run and hide but that God is a creator with a desire to seek and find. I think in the ultimate game of hide and seek, like we'd put up no contest, like God would be the winner every time. We are people with a tendency to run and hide, but God is a creator with a desire to seek and find. Like God's love for us, uh, there's the song Reckless Love. I connect a lot with music, so I'll mention a couple songs while I'm up here. Reckless Love, like God sent his son to save us so that he could see us in light of our sins. That's how far God will go chasing us. And then we get to the third part of the psalm where David says, uh, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And what I think is so cool about this set of verses is that like, it's saying that you were personally made by God like we weren't made on like um, <clears throat> like a conveyor belt or an assembly line. Like God used his thoughts and his time and his mind to take the time to create you personally. And then this section, uh, it mentions knitting and weaving a lot and I just picture that and I think about the patience at times it takes to sit and weave something, to put something together. Like if you wanna make a sweater, right? and then you sit down to knit and you don't take your time, like you could make a scarf. Like not the same thing. The scarf isn't gonna protect your arms as much as a sweater would, right? And then I think of, it, it mentions the womb and I think about the process of giving birth and I think as Jen was pregnant with, with Bryson and just everything I learned in that, uh, I think we oftentimes picture babies as like blueberries or oranges and then grapefruits, uh, so on and so forth, and then like watermelons and then like bam, the, the baby's here, like the baby just shows up. But like there's so much more thought and process and detail that God put into the whole process of childbirth. Uh, when the egg that was fertilized was fertilized, there are over two million other uh, specimens that were trying to vie for that egg. That means you had a one in two million chance of being born. What that also means is that there were over two million other ways for you not to exist. There were over two million other ways for you not to exist. 
And God chose you for this moment and this time for whatever purpose that he's given to your life. And then I think of like the wonderful, amazing process of creating that God did. Like he designated cells to do certain things at certain times. Like, and I think that's cool. I just look at the, the heart, one of the first organs to get formed, right? And like God has the uh, heart start forming in about two weeks. Um, about two to three weeks. Uh, the cells start linking together to form the endocardial tubes, and then those uh, get knit together to form the early tubular heart. And then about four weeks, the heart starts beating for the first time, and it's about 120 to 160 beats per minute. And that's like the simplified version. Like, I can't go into too much depth because then I won't know what I'm talking about. But like, that's the simplified version. God puts so much more detail into that, like, like, when do your fingernails start growing? Like, God has planned that for you in the womb, and that's crazy to me. So, like, when David talks about how we are fearfully and wonderful made, like, this is what he's talking about, the power that God put into your birth. And then another cool thing, at the end of the section of verses, David goes into this uh, part where he's talking about your days are, are ordained, and like while God's putting your body together and planning how that's going together, he's putting it together with purpose and passion and love and all these different things for your life. And I think that's super cool. And the word for this, the, the other two were really big uh, words. The word for this is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. And I just think of that, and I think in all of God's power, what he did was choose to create you. And I think if that doesn't give you hope for your life, if that doesn't give you hope for the fact that God loves you, then there's some stuff that needs to be worked on. And nobody in this room or on this earth is an accident or a mistake. God knit and weaved all of us together with purpose and passion with the intent to love and to be loved. Especially with the intent to be loved. Nobody deserves not to be loved. And then David goes into this little midsection and it's just a tiny little prayer to God in the middle of the psalm where he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And then this brings up this question that brings me really into the second part of my teaching tonight. We're asked if God is great, if he knows us and he created us and he takes the time to, to come find us, what are we supposed to do with his greatness? How are we supposed to respond to his greatness? And there's two answers to that. I think uh, one of them seems pretty simple and then one of them's kind of like a hammer coming down. Uh, so I'll go over the simple one first. The first is to love others and love God. And we see this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. Uh, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and they try to trap him a little bit. Uh, they say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? To which Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And I think that by itself, like that's hard enough, right? Like loving God on a daily basis. Like how often do I fail at that? And then the second part I think is even harder. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I look at that in line with Psalm 139. And I think, okay, so God knows them. God created them. And God is with them. He was searching after them. But here I am not giving people the time of day because of something they've done, because of something they've said, because of how they look. But we have a God who's searching after them. And I think the first part of those verses from Matthew uh, about loving God, we can't love God unless we're loving others. Like those two, they go hand in hand. Like we have to remember that God created people, that God wants his people to him and that we are his plan A here on earth. We're the ones that are called to go and tell the people about Jesus, about his love and his grace and his mercy. People aren't less valuable because of the life they've gone through or the sin they've committed. They are worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And we need to act like they are worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And then uh, David goes into, I think, the hardest part of the psalm for me. Where he says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with ill intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them among my enemies. And like I said, I think this is really where the hammer comes down because I think it makes me uh, examine how we're living alongside with sin. And I was talking to Jen about this and processing through and she asked me the question and kind of challenged my thinking, like, so we're supposed to hate people? And I think that's a hard question because we grow up and we see this God of love and this God of grace and this God of mercy and this God who doesn't represent hate. And then digging into Proverbs, uh, in chapter six, Solomon, uh, the son of David, who wrote this psalm, he says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And I read those, and then I think like, it's biblical for us to follow these things that God hates, like David. What David's doing in these verses is he's saying, God, I'm taking a stand with you. Your enemies are my enemies. And there's a, uh, there's a little phrase out there. You guys could finish it for me. I'll do the first part. It's hate the sin, love the sinner. But I think we right now we're living in a culture and we're conforming to a culture that tells us be okay with the sin and act like we're loving the person but but we can't be okay with the sin and also love the person 
because holding them accountable is loving the person. We're making the word fit us instead of us fitting into it. We aren't striving to be like God, but we are striving to make God like us. And what this is saying is, we are called, like I said, to take a stand with God in his truth that's presented in the Bible. And knowing God's greatness, what David did is make himself more like him. Knowing God's greatness, David wants to be more like him. He wants to be and is choosing to be an advocate for him in the world. And I know that's a lot of talk about sin and things that God doesn't like, but that's where Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus Christ came in and he died on the cross so that God doesn't see this sin in your life. So that God sees you as a child of God, not an enemy. And at Elements, what we want to do is we want to be able to walk with you through that stuff. We want to walk with you through that in e-groups, in huddles, in uh, personal relationships. So if there's anything in your life that you think needs to be confessed, that's okay. Confess it to God, go to God, bring it to Jesus. Take that weight off your shoulders. Don't limit God's power in your life by holding on to your sin when you could be giving it up to him. Even if God hates the sin, God loves you because you are not your sin. And the psalm starts with David knowing that God searched his heart and ends with David inviting him to do it again and again and again and again in this never-ending process because it's not just like once and you're done. It's this process that you'll go through throughout your life. And what this shows us is that although God has the ability to search us Uh, before we give him permission, he is a God of invitation and a God of relationship. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes uh, is from The Great Divorce where he says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. So what he's saying is we have a choice. God's will be done or our will be done. we get to make that choice. And I think I choose the former. So God knows your struggles already. He knows that you are living in them. He knows that you are living with them. He knows uh, everything that's going on in your life and God is still pursuing you relentlessly. He is still pursuing you in spite of them, whatever they may be. God created us. He put, in that, he put in us the power to overcome our sins along with his Holy Spirit. He knit us together with a purpose and a passion that's more powerful and more important than any sin in your life. And taking it back to the $100 bill, 
you are no less valuable to God because of the things that you've gone through in your life. You are no less valuable to God because of the struggles you're facing. God already knows you fully and God already loves you unconditionally. So I'm gonna invite the band back up real quick and uh, the psalm closes in a prayer. And I think it's fitting that we, uh, as a congregation tonight, we also close in it. Uh, afterwards, there'll be a time of communion and we got communion stations up here to the left and the right. Uh, we got gluten-free uh, communion right over there if that's something that you need to do. And then also in the back, we have more communion stations. So I invite you to take part in that. And I think take this time of communion to really think about what it is that Jesus did for us. Take the time to worship him. This psalm is a psalm of worship, of knowing God's greatness and going, knowing God's love for us, knowing that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God created us. So let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I invite you into the deep, dark depths of it. I invite you in to know what it is I love, to know what it is I hate, to know my struggles, to know the things I am going through. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my fears, my anxieties about being open, about uh, loving people about being loved because sometimes that's hard, Father. It's hard to let people love us and see if there's any offensive way in me. Pull out the sin, Father, and work on it with me so that I am in line with your wisdom, with your love, with the purpose and the passion that you've given me in my life. Lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that I get to see you in your kingdom, that I get to spend eternity alongside you, Father, that I get to worship you till the end of the days and then more. And Father, I praise you for all that you've created. I thank you for the fact that you love me not because I'm perfect, but just because I'm me. I thank you for the fact that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for me on the cross, despite my imperfections. I thank you for all the joy that you've given me in my life and all of it that is still to come. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.